You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 358. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dwayne, as we take a long-awaited look at the pilot episode of the 2000 space epic Andromeda. <laughs> and this is a first watch for you, right? It is. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, for me, this is the third time I've seen this episode. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I saw it originally when I watched all five seasons and then I started a rewatch maybe three months ago and got through season one before, you know, other stuff got in the way. So this is the third time I've seen this episode. Okay. Yeah, cool. I almost uh, didn't get to watch it at all because uh, um, when I, last week we were deciding to do it, I quickly looked up on Amazon and it appeared as if, uh, it was available for free to Amazon Prime members, but season one is not. What? Yeah. But seasons two through five are? No, seasons three through five are, but not seasons one and two. Well, that's bizarre. So, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, but I was uh, able to, I, I actually first I did a, a quick look because I know you had given me a DVD of it at one time, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find it. So, but okay. I was, I was able to watch it anyway. So okay. it worked I, out. Daily motion has had it for, yeah, that's where I watched it five years or longer. So I, I guess I figure at this point, the statute of limitations, uh, is up on whatever copyright might be involved there. <laughs> and yeah, we'll just, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. So. Like you didn't have to like look very hard for that. Like I just, that was like the first thing that popped up, like watch Andromeda for free, boom, clicked on it, and there it was. It was like, oh, well, that works. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I announced last time about the collection of sales tax from Patreon supporters. And, uh, you know, guys, those of you that support the podcast that way, uh, I did everything I could, checked all the boxes that Patreon recommends to keep the tax amount down or zero because it depends on what state you're in, what country you're in. And, you know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. So I apologize if that hits anybody, but the man always wants his yep. cut. Yep. He's always reaching into my pocket or her cut, depending on right. the uh, jurisdiction. <laughs> anyway, um, tip of the week, what we're watching, I'll, uh, go ahead and go first. Cause I've got okay. three this time. Oh, um, my wife and I just completed the Italian Netflix show, the trial eight episodes. Really good. Really good. I don't even want to mention what the premise is because it's, it's kind of a twist that doesn't appear until either the end of the first episode or the beginning of the second episode. But as the title indicates, and not to be confused with the novel by Franz Kafka, where, uh, uh, no, you should know why you've been arrested. No, we're not going to tell you why you're on trial. You should know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really good. As I mentioned to you before we started recording, I've begun my season two dark rewatch. I'm not rewatching season one only because I've literally seen each episode five times. And I'll go back through my notes. I'll probably watch some recap video, but I thought I pretty much got season one uh, etched in my memory. But the other thing I've been watching on YouTube, so many musicians as they are quarantined at home have been doing these little mini concerts or uh, mini sessions from their home. And I've been watching John Taylor and Stone Love Bass Odyssey. And if you don't know John Taylor, he's the bass player in Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's great. He's really good. Oh, my like God. He's, he, you know, and his once-a-week YouTube videos, he breaks down a Duran Duran song from the standpoint of the bass, which, being a bass player, is right up my alley. I, I love his bass playing. If there's anybody I try to emulate, it's him. And I say that because the way he plays, it's actually possible for me to play. Yeah. Not, not, not as good. I mean, he's, you know, just a great bass player. But, right. it, you know, it's not like somebody like Victor Wooten and any music people out there. If you know Victor Wooten, he's just an alien on bass. And there's so many aliens, both guitar players. Well, I guess every instrument these days that, you know, 
unfortunately, a lot of them are 14 years old and have YouTube channels and <laughs> just want to quit. But anyway, what are you watching? Um, that's a good question. Um, so I actually, last week, went back and took a dive to try and catch up on the Coen brothers. Um, I, you know, I, I love the Coen brothers movies, but they're, you know, I, it's been a while since I've seen one. So, um, like I watched, uh, Hail Caesar and, uh, a, a serious man and the Battle of Buster Scruggs. And at the end of that, I was really depressed. So, uh, I think the Coen brothers, I, 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 I guess I always kind of knew that, and, and people have charged them, you know, accused them of being, uh, nihilistic and they said that, well, that's ridiculous. And I don't think they are. Um, but, uh, yeah, especially, uh, a serious man, boy, holy cow. That was that movie, uh, that, that had a very, the end was, was a very serious ending there. So, but it's cool. It was good. They're, they're, they're usually, um, have humor in them along with the, uh, the kind of the darker aspects that they go. So it's cool. Um, I then started watching, um, Homecoming with uh, Julia Roberts. And I don't I've, think I know that. I think I've seen that maybe pop up on my Netflix feed, but no, it's on Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Okay. Well. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I've only, I've gotten like maybe five episodes in, and it's pretty good. Basically, she plays a like a social worker who's helping um, vets returning from. Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, and they have this program that is meant to, uh, to to help integrate them back into society. But we find out pretty early on that it's um, they're really basically testing a drug on these guys, and the program is really designed to to check the efficacy of the drug. So um, that's about as far as I go. But you know, it's uh, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty pretty captivating so far. Um, and I thought I'd put in like a really quick word, even though we've already talked about it, is the, uh, um, my admiration for the Snowpiercer, uh, the TV series. I, right now, that is probably my favorite series. Though Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, is killing it right now, too. You know, Snowpiercer is, is now become that, that show that um, when I go to watch the next episode, I watch the previous one first, then the next episode. I'm just really enjoying that show. Yeah, Agents of Shield, as you said, it's it's just really killing season seven, and and it, it just kills us that this is going to be it for the show. Snowpiercer, dude. I, every time I need something to watch, I go to my DVR and I say, "Oh, I got three episodes built up there." Nah, uh, maybe maybe tomorrow, and then I move on. So I'm right. I still haven't gotten past the first episode, yeah. so I'm not sure what that says, but. Well, I mean, I, I get it. Like, you just not, weren't maybe that enthusiastic about the first episode. But I don't know. I'd say try it out. And every time I tell you to go back and try it out, I don't think I've really ever been wrong. Right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but I get it. Like, I'm kind of like that with The 100. Like, I got, like, what? I've watched the first, like, three episodes, I think, maybe. Maybe the only two. And I'm just very unenthusiastic about this season. And if it weren't the last one, I would probably dump it right here and now but it is the last i've been along for this much of the ride so out of more out of duty than of love that i'm gonna um watch the rest of the the hundred yeah i think the problem i have with the hundred this season is they're doing what so many genre shows seem to be doing despite the fact that they are working with only 13 episode seasons and I guess this is what Game of Thrones did. It's, you'd have an entire episode and you're really only watching a third of the cast. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the next week and it's a third of the two thirds that you didn't see. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's just kind of frustrating to have to wait for certain storylines. And yeah, I understand there, there are advantages to doing it this way. You get to develop that particular storyline you only have 42 minutes so i get that but it's still a little frustrating yeah i think with the hundred this kind of getting to me is just well i think you mentioned cast i'm like oh you know that's i think that's kind of it because it already from the start had a, a huge cast right and you get all these characters and you know you, you whatever you, and, and then you know they have a big shift 
and they bring in a ton more people. And and so now, and then like, you know, and every, it seems like every season the show reinvents itself. There's a big change over the cast. Um, it's just hard to keep straight, like who's who and what's what. And, you know, these characters come on. I'm like, do I know that? Well, obviously, I guess I've seen that person before, but what the hell? You know, like, so I don't know. I, I just think they've, the, the the plots are so, you know, labyrinthine on, on the, the hundred that I, I think it, it just tends to kind of get caught up in, I don't, I don't want to say overdramatic plots because it is a drama, you know, and everything. But just, I don't know, like these big dramatic moments, I guess. And probably my favorite character was on for about five minutes, then dragged off by some invisible people. And that was it for Bellamy so far, you know? Yeah. I don't know where the hell he is, but... Right. Uh, but I did read that the actor, I can't remember his name, but he he asked for a personal... for to take some personal leave, I guess. So I guess that's probably the main reason why he's not there. But still, it sucks, man, you know, for the show. He's like the, the was one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite. Yeah. And they've, of course, gone down this route that the anomaly is actually uh, a black hole. And, and that's pretty much what they did with Stargate SG-1 that, you know, all, you know, all of these pathways to other worlds are you know, through this anomaly or this black hole. But, uh, you know, we'll leave that there because we got to talk some Andromeda. Episode one of season one, Under the Night, written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, who wrote for Alphas, which was a show that it just, for me, never really took off. But he also wrote for Star Trek Deep Space Nine quite a bit. This one was directed by Alan Croker, who did four episodes of Defiance, eight episodes of Chuck, which is, again, one of those shows that's been recommended to me many times. Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek Voyager, Dollhouse, Dark Angel. And it aired originally October 2nd, 2000. So this is a show that was in the era of the 22-episode season. So over the course of five seasons, they did 110 episodes. There's a lot out there of Andromeda, yeah. but uh, what were your first reactions, man? Um, so, you know, my first reaction was that it seems like like very Star Trekky type uh, vibe here. Obviously, Gene Roddenberry being his idea in in the first place. Not overly impressed necessarily with the makeup and costumes um, from it. I you know I don't know if they were kind of on more of a shoestringy type budget uh, early on. But uh, that being said, the story definitely was an interesting story and it wasn't like i was checking to see how much time was left during this it you know it went straight through i was kind of i was in the story i was involved the whole time you know it, it looks like a show that has uh or had i guess uh a lot of promise um and and room to grow i guess yeah and when you have a 22 episode season we understand certainly in retrospect that there are going to be some episodes that maybe we look back on and say well that was a filler episode and that is certainly true it was true for farscape and despite that it was still a great series and you know fred and i communicated a little bit uh, via facebook messenger over the course of last week and you'll hear in his feedback that he was less than enthused by what he saw in episode one of Andromeda to the point that he went ahead and watched the second episode just to, just to make sure. And, you know, I get that because it is 20 years ago, and we certainly have to acknowledge the pedigree, which you did a moment ago, because this is based on unused material of Gene Roddenberry, developed by his widow, Majel Barrett, and I believe she was in a bunch of episodes of the original Star Trek. I forget she, what she was in. Yeah, and she was also a, a recurring character on um, Next Generation. Okay, and you know, for some context, Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Enterprise were airing during Andromeda's run, 
So, you know, when we try to judge it, it's not really fair to judge production values against dark matter or killjoys. No, it's not even close to fair. Right. So we're obviously not going to do that. And if if I could just jump in here on that, because that, that, that is something I thought about. You know, that being said, like, it seemed like, like, even if we take, like, because was Farscape contemporary with this one, or was that a little bit later? Uh, it was contemporary. I believe there was overlap. Okay. So, if you just look at those shows you just mentioned, um, and compare the production values of this episode with those shows, I mean, those show, the other shows are, are much better. Uh, Star Trek Voyager, for sure. You know, Farscape, and you know, and Fred mentions this too, like how it reminded Farscape. I, I can see a little bit of Farscape, but Farscape went the whole way of like by using the uh, the, the Muppets as some of their characters. That um, you know, it, it just once you got over, like so, it, it it feels like it's like kind of apples and oranges, you know, like in comparison there. So yeah, like but like I said. I, you know, whenever I watch an older show, um, I, I check my judgment of production values kind of at the door, um, understanding that, yeah, obviously what they what shows can do now, if you like, look at The Expanse, like if I show, took an episode of The Expanse back in time and you show it to the people doing this, they, you would blow their minds right out of their head, right? They'd be like, how can you possibly do that on television? Um, so, so, yeah. So, so basically, you're saying you love Rigel, one of your favorite all-time characters. Absolutely. You, you do come. I, I did come to to, to uh, feel a fondness, a certain fondness for Rigel. Yeah, yeah, they did overlap. Farscape started in '99, and, and this started in 2000. The season one theme music composed by Alex Lifeson. No kidding. Yeah, the guitarist from Rush. For right, those of you that uh, are not. Uh, up on that uh, life i knew you would know um the only thing could have been better if it was getty lee doing the getty music lee, right? but yeah. Uh, uh yeah apparently robert hewitt wolf is a huge rush fan well listen so. i'm going to mention neil parrot just because we're, we're throwing the names out there just because the man's passed away we're still going to throw him out there greatest drummer ever i'm not going to argue drop. with you on that one dude he <laughs> is or was freaking amazing so uh yeah, so you know when we talk about Andromeda and how it stacks up against the other space dramas, once we get past the production values, then we of course have to look at the storylines, the character developments, and again, we've said how many times that looking at one episode, it's pointless to try to make that comparison. So that, sure. as I said to Fred in one of our uh, conversations, that it's easy for me to say, just give it time, it's going to get a lot better you'll see what all the fuss is about but there's so much out there to watch now so right i understand that but yeah but you get it it also was not the case back in 2000 there wasn't netflix there wasn't amazon prime there weren't all these or disney plus or all these other things that were you know drawing away and so you know that if now like what we used to say is that you know, I think when we started this show, we said you can't judge a series by, like you just said, you can't judge a series by its first episode, um, that you have to give it some time and, and let it develop. But but nowadays, you just don't have that opportunity anymore, right? Right. That first episode. Kill. Yeah, exactly. That first episode has got to absolutely knock it out of the park or, you know, I, I can just click on to something else, you know, like it's. You know, there's there's about twenty thousand other shows like that out there. So, um, you know, yeah. so you know, when we look at this episode from a, a structural standpoint, the first half centers around the demise of the Andromeda Ascendant, and the second half around the attempted salvage of the Andromeda Ascendant. So, you know, th- that's a pretty interesting way to approach it, but. Right from the start, we get that opening, establishing exterior shot of the Andromeda Ascendant, and it's a pretty impressive starship. And once we're inside, you can't help but notice the homage to Star Trek. 
But the other thing I, I felt was on some of the exterior battle shots, it had more of a Star Wars action feel to it. Uh, again, certainly not the special effects monster uh, that that we see through Star Wars films, but but that kind of a feel to it. And uh, again, understandable. I mean, at that point in the year 2000, Star Wars was a phenomenon. I guess maybe only the first three films had been released at that well, point. Well, no, the uh, Phantom Menace had been, oh, it had been released okay. by that point as well, yeah. Okay. So um, we get this cold open, and we pretty quickly realize that it's a drill aboard the vessel Andromeda Ascendant, captained by Dylan Hunt, played by Kevin Sorbo, who a lot of people will know as Hercules. And he's one of those actors, and I, I guess having seen the entire series and really gotten to know the characters, gotten to know the actors, I am constantly asking, why were they never in other things? Mm -hmm. And certainly Kevin Sorbo is is at the top of that list because he had a long run with Hercules. He had a long run with Andromeda. And for the kinds of roles, you know, he does. Uh, he's great. Now, if you look at his IMDb page, he was working all the time just a series of one-offs and he did so many of them. I don't think he had any trouble paying his mortgage, but right. Not so much with the others, but well, yeah, like, like if you look at IMDb, you look down the stars, you're like, none of these characters is someone to say, Oh, there's, you know, there's right. Tom Hardy or there's Michael Fassbender, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I like right away. They establish uh, Dylan Hunt as this demanding but understanding and well-liked commander set against his XO, Commander Roddy, played by Steve uh, Basich, who is a Nietzschean, and, and we don't really get a total feel for what a Nietzschean is. But, well, we get kind of a feel, I but, feel. But by the end, it, it's a, <laughs> an engineered race who sees itself as... Is it unfair to say the master race? I, no, I mean, I hate to use that phraseology right. because of uh, World well, War there's II and definitely a deliberate connection that they're trying to make between the Nietzscheans, at least from this first episode. Obviously, I haven't seen any more than that. Um, but yeah, I got. I definitely went there with this, saying, "Oh, well, this is just these guys are like the Nazis, right? They're, they they feel that they are this superior race, and that." They need to wipe out all the others to you know make the universe run the way it's supposed to be run, right? And, and that's a big part of this episode and the ultimate war that sends them you know careening towards that that black hole and, and then gets them stuck in time. But the Nietzscheans are a humanoid race, except for those blades on their arms, which are are pretty cool in and of themselves but but just one little touch that after the drill and they fell short of the time that dylan wanted them to achieve and, and that one officer that was at the desk was really berating himself and thompson, and noticed, Poor yeah, thompson. And he didn't make it out of the first episode no. unfortunately not but, a lot of people did yeah but uh you know dylan just just touches his shoulder just real real quickly establishing that I'm tough, but fair, and you know I'm your father figures. Certainly, uh, even though he's probably only about ten or fifteen years older than somebody like Thompson, but uh, you know, so we. Well, get if he, I feel like if he'd been a little bit tougher on Thompson, Thompson might have made it. Well, maybe you know, this man be pamby style leadership. You know, doesn't always produce results. All right, so uh, <laughs> we get that emergency hail. And we're introduced to Slipstream, which is Andromeda's version of faster than light travel. Well, what's Slipstream? It just is. Don't 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 ask. It's just you <laughs> kick it into Slipstream and you and you go, and you end up somewhere else in the universe. And every show has it, mm -hmm. and some try to explain it more scientifically than others, and some just say, mm, just go with it. So. Right. But like, yeah, you know, like in Star Wars, how you have the hyperdrive, and it's it's something that can be broken and fixed, 
and everything. So like, you know, it's, it's like a carburetor, you know, or, you know, a dis- distributor cap or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, like the, 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 these shows tend to shy away from any explanation of, of the science of light speed plus travel. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, we also get you know, further indication about what kind of man Dylan Hunt is. It appears that the population of a nearby planet, Hephaestus, is going to have to evacuate because of this rogue black hole. But it all turns out to be a Nietzschean trap. And in retrospect, is this the first battle of the war that brings down the system's commonwealth? And in the opening credits scene, we get that voiceover that the system's commonwealth was one of the most, if not the most advanced civilization, and the Nietzscheans bring it down. And, of course, the series seems to be about Dylan trying to you know get that back and and how he's going to do that well you know that's uh, you know what the series is all about but uh with a plucky spirit and a spunky crew exactly and and uh you know that that whole phrase hope lives again at the at the end of the uh credit scene but the his exo recommends using nova bombs and whatever Nova bombs are, they sound really bad because he immediately reacts that, dude, the planet's inhabited. Yeah. I'm not going to wipe out the whole planet. And I guess now that we know what we know about Commander Roddy, he's probably thinking, yeah. ah, crap. Okay, well, that didn't work. Almost got him to destroy the planet with the Nova bombs. Yeah. Be- because I guess the idea would be if the high guard and we don't really get an explanation at this point what the high guard is so so whether it's i mean it certainly has that military feel to it it seems as if he is a member an officer of the uh commonwealth high guard if he were to deploy nova bombs and destroy this planet well that would just be another means to bring down the commonwealth and you know, Dylan doesn't fall for it, and I don't think at this point he sees it as a trap, but still, you know, he, he makes the decision to uh, try something different. And then you notice what he does. As soon as he, he realizes that the ship is being pulled into that black hole and there's really nothing to do, tells everybody to evacuate. Yeah. What would you think about the one crew member that stays? Yeah, uh, I thought she was pretty cool but of course she died too but uh first lieutenant refractions of dawn oh is that what the name was yeah yeah so you know it was i mean it's like weird because he had just ordered well roddy says you know you need to send me confine me to quarters or whatever put me in the brig you basically need to lock him up and all the other uh nietzscheans on board and so when he you know says everyone abandoned ship i'm like well, what about the the people you just locked up? <laughs> like, well, were you surprised when Dylan actually followed his recommendation? Because I guess I felt like at that point we're establishing the fact that this is an integrated crew. I mean, right. clearly we've got alien beings that are part of the crew, but that it just surprised me that he took his recommendation. Yeah, you know, I uh, guess I I feel like. I was surprised that he didn't say, no, dude, I trust you, and I trust all the other Nietzscheans on board, so let's do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. It, it was. It did surprise me, honestly, because I did expect him to say, just just as you did, that, you know, you will do your duty, sir, or something like that, you know. Um, but uh, but no, he goes to, to lock the guy up and didn't really work out so well. Yeah, kills the two guards, and um, yeah, the uh, revolt is on, and... and He's the one that kills the pilot, and then we get the fight scene with Dylan one-on-one. And, you know, it's a pretty cool fight. I mean, he's spouting his political <laughs> rhetoric, Phil, and he, but he also fills in some details for us about the Nietzschean beings and, you know, the whole engineered race thing. Yeah. Um, but I guess because, what of I course, liked, when you're having a fight, you're also conversing and, you know, well, letting the well, other person know exactly what you're <laughs> – quarrel with them is 
<laughs> well, yeah, and we're we're introduced to the race of the Magog, and 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 of course we don't really find out what they look like until we get the uh, Maru into the storyline but roddy's blaming the magog apparently they're an extremely violent race you compromised with monsters he tells dylan you know meaning the commonwealth who apparently came to some sort of a peace treaty and again there there's a lot of political backstory to this series so whether this whole idea you compromise with monsters is that sort of a reference to you know maybe like what neville chamberlain did in 1940 with hitler trying to appease somebody that clearly is going to break whatever agreement you made the first chance he gets but yet 300 years later when we see uh the the rev there that uh he seems pretty feel pretty bad about what the magog have done well he does so then the question is is he one magog or right you know what about the rest of the magog so uh that is certainly something that will be addressed as i think most people would assume but the thing i liked about the fight sequence is as they get closer to the black hole and the time dilation starts making time slow down so at first you think, okay, is this just one of those deals where they're giving us a slow motion fight scene the way we, you know, see all like the time nowadays? But six but, million dollar man stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's not exactly right now. Roddy appears to die as time continues to slow. Spoilers. So, well, I'm just saying, I mean, I don't, we don't know. I'm just going to leave it at that. He seems pretty dead. But, But, you know, that's what happens when someone like jumps off a wall and then comes to kick you in the face and you just stand there and you don't even put your hands in front of your face. Like bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Superior race. I don't think so. Yeah. He just stood there and got kicked in the head. Right. And we then get an exterior shot of a different ship that looks as if it's been through hell. I mean, it looks as if it's been through a war. And we're now on board this salvage ship captained by Becca Valentine, played by Lisa Ryder. Again, right. <clears throat> um, I mean, she's great in this series. And, uh, you know, she did some work. <laughs> she appeared in this horror movie called Jason X with Lexa <laughs> Doig. <laughs> which was the only reason I watched it, obviously. Right. But, uh, well, uh, Dave, I think you are forgetting the elephant in the room, and that is Lexa Doig herself as the ship's AI. Well, no question. Yeah. Uh, and, and we see her at this point as a projection, and, and, uh, you know, we're going to see her in another form as the series progresses. Yeah. Um, I'll just say, uh, you know, she's rocking that uniform, and I'll just just leave it at that. I would just like to say that though the people who created this could not have foreseen the Me Too movement, there's no way any future spaceship would have a, uh, a, a an AI that looked like that. It's just like and. Uh, you know, Dylan's going to get married. Like, has she seen what the AI looks like? She, you have to assume the captain had a little bit of something to say with the programming of the AI. Oh, that's you know? a good question. Yeah, you just see him with the you know the programmer, like, all right, make that make her top a little bit tighter, and you know, take down that neckline a couple inches. And yeah, poor Sarah, we hardly <laughs> knew you, and uh, yeah, you're already three hundred years older, um, but. Uh, we learn that Becca's ship has been hired to find and then salvage the Andromeda Ascendant, which is the pride of the system's commonwealth. And and Fred mentions a little bit of that in his feedback. And, you know, the the fact that um, 300 years has passed. And, and, I, and I think the deal is that this, even 300 years in the past, is the foremost starship in the Commonwealth arsenal. And just because 300 years has passed doesn't mean technology has been following because depending on how all out this war really was, how destructive it really was, I mean, 
you know, technology could have been put on hold for a while, for all we know. Well, right. And, uh, you know, I, I listened to French feedback, and, and what my take on all this was that the fall of the Commonwealth was akin to the fall of the Roman Empire. Exactly. Yep. Where, you know, the, you know the, the, the technology disappears. You know, and the people who knew how to make the roads and the aqueducts, well, they, they weren't around anymore. You know, and, and you know, the, the people who kept the books, it was all in Rome and all that stuff got destroyed. So it was like civilization technology wise went a couple steps backwards in the wake of the, you know, the, the fall of the Roman Empire, or at least I say the Western Roman Empire. Byzantium was still rocking it. Right. But as far as the Eureka Maru, which is Becca's ship, you get the sense that this is all she could afford. And, sure. you know, I've read things in the past. Oh, it reminds me of the millennial Falcon, millennium Falcon. And well, yeah, but you know, yes and no. Um, right. Well, there is a sister ship, the, the millennial Falcon, but it yeah. wasn't any of the, uh, wasn't in any of the other shows because it was just on its cell phone the whole, the whole time. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, we've got an interesting crew, Trance Gemini, played by Laura Bertram, and she is the uh, lavender being with the tail. <laughs> uh, Rev Bem, played by Brent State, is the Magog. And uh, the interesting thing there is that at a point in the series, the costume caused him so many skin problems he had to leave the show wow so you know it's a pretty bad costume in the first place you know yeah yeah you know Uh, like um, even then that was one place i'm like even in 2000 you could do better than this yeah and and i don't know you know on the one hand i have a difficult time buying into aliens that look so alien and i know wow that's your you know that's that's your human uh, prejudice you want everybody to look like the human race well yeah (laughs) i do in my science fiction but but, but, yeah not necessarily i get that they're trying that the magog is supposed to look like kind of like a scary guy right sure it just looked it just looks yeah. so weird, and just it, it, not even just like not human weird, just like, just like aesthetically, like what, what, what's going on here, you know, and everything. Yeah, I just I felt like that they, they could have done a little bit better of the costume there, as well as with the uh, you know Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer's uh, crackhead uncle who was uh, on the ship as well. Yeah, um, and then the the fourth member of the crew, Harper, played by Gordon Michael Wolvet. And he seems to be, you know, the ship's mechanic, uh, again, sort of like Kaylee in, in Firefly. He's, you know, give me some chewing gum and a wrench and I'll get this engine running and, you know, whatever you need. But as everything's unfolding, they're all talking about how they plan to spend their share of this major score. And it really, you know, gives us some insight into what these people are like because Harper, he just wants to go and... and I guess, drink and whore and whatever. Becca wants to pay off her father's debts. Rev wants to build a hospital and buy absolution. And, you know, you mentioned that a few minutes ago about, um, you know, is he indicative of the rest of his race? Again, we'll find out. But the challenge for them is they've got to free the Andromeda from the black hole without getting pulled in and, stuck in the singularity themselves so you know they use those cool where they fire those what do they call them uh bucket cables and yeah that was that was cool yeah. not as cool not as cool as a tractor beam but yeah this <laughs> ship this ship doesn't have all the bells and whistles sure sure so but you know you mentioned the guy with the, <laughs> with the rudolph nose who, who's hired becca and obviously he's got something else in mind um, he goes to the cargo hold and releases this Nietzschean warrior that he's had in hibernation. And we don't really see him yet. I mean, we get that l- final shot at yeah, the end of the, the episode. End, right? But, you know, we, we certainly can see that's what 
that's what he's doing. And then we cut to the Andromeda, and as they're um, getting ready to board, Dylan comes to Rami, uh, short for Andromeda, informs him they've been frozen in time for over 300 years, and and it shocks him a lot more than the audience. I mean, again, we're sci-fi fans, so we're thinking like, okay, that's cool. Right. Um, but well, I mean, they, they, they established that also in the other ship, that they were right. talking about the old Commonwealth and everything and how it's been... I think they even throw out the word, the number 300, right? Oh, did they? Okay, okay. Maybe. I, I can't remember if they did. But they definitely talked about it as a relic of, of past times. Okay. But you're absolutely uh, right in saying that as as science fiction fans, you know, obviously, you know, we hear that something like, oh, yeah, I've been caught in, like, frozen time for 300 years. We're like, okay, sure. I got you. I'm with you. Yeah. Now, we learned that Trance is the newest member of the crew because the person she replaced apparently got killed in an accident in the last uh job that they did and and you know she's got this naivety to her that you know is kind of endearing and this apparently is her first job so becca's trying to make it clear to everybody you don't take any unnecessary chances you know they they prepare to board the andromeda and start you know exploring it when Rami alerts Dylan to the fact that there are intruders on board. And then we get that great scene when, when Dylan comes face to face with Harper, who informs him that the Commonwealth lost the war against the Nietzscheans. And, and it's just so blunt. It, it's just such a crushing blow to Dylan, right? I mean, it's one thing to be, to lose 300 years. Yeah. But we lost a war as well. There is no more systems commonwealth. And it's almost like he can't accept that reality. Sure. And he's, no, that, that, that can't be true. I'm, I'm going to go out and we're, I'm going to find the commonwealth. I'm going to let them know that we're here. Even though anybody that would know him is long gone. So I guess it becomes right. a question, how famous was the Andromeda Ascendant? Um, what role did it play in the battle? And again, we all often talk about history is left to be written by the winners. So Mm -hmm. we don't know exactly what has been written about, you know, this, this final battle. But uh, again, I have no intention of surrendering the ship. The Nietzschean warrior appears in the doorway. I'll take it from here. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, right. dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't he's like definitely, you, but I like you. Right, he's an imposing guy for sure. I, I, he, you know, I saw on IMDb, he's like, you know, the third person named. So I, I assume that uh, somewhere in the conflict here, he ends up joining the uh, the crew and becomes friends with uh, with Dylan Hunt. Well, you'll see that when you watch a second episode. Yeah, yeah. that might happen. If you <laughs> might have, okay. Anyway, um, all right, I, got, I gotta go back and watch Dark. So you know, right now uh, good I, I can't take on any new projects. Yeah, good point. So uh, anything else you want to bring up that we didn't talk about? Um, oh, just one thing. So like in the beginning of the show, so you know, we are tailored to. I'm watching a pilot, so I've got to get to know these characters here, right? So we got Dylan Hunt, we've got Commodore Raday. Uh, we've got the uh, or commander, the commander, right? Commander. Uh, we've got the uh, the the bug creature. That's the the pilot. We've got Thompson, right? These are pretty much and the ship itself. That's like five characters, right? And about halfway through this episode, three of them are already dead. So it's you're just like or mostly dead, apparently from your comments about uh, Roddy. So that I I almost have to admire that a little because that's totally uh, throwing a a monkey wrench into the whole expectation of, of a pilot, right? We're expecting within the first couple of minutes to meet the main characters that are going to be with us on the series. And, you know, 60% of the characters we meet at the beginning are are all dead halfway through. Well, you know, I, I, and I know it's going to sound like heresy to some people, and 
Elena would be one of them. But it, for me, it's almost like that firefly feel to it that once everybody is put out of the picture, once he evacuates his entire ship, now it's 300 years later, everybody's dead. It's just this small skeletal crew of you know just this, this disparate number of people, types of people, races of people, and they've got to come together with some sort of a mission. And, you know, I, I, that now is going to be the story. And I know what you're saying that, and I went back and, and looked, was Thompson wearing a red shirt? No, I don't no, he wasn't, (laughs) but uh, he should have been. That's the first thing I looked, (laughs) you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I like that feel. And while even having seen the entire 110 episode run I, i'm not going to put it in firefly's class but it, it does have that feel to it for me yeah well I, I i agree it's just that kind of that at first where i'm putting all my attention to trying to learn about these characters and it's happening quickly like everything's happening very fast so I'm like kind of getting stressed out because, oh man, like how am I, I need to figure out what's going on with this world. I have to learn about these characters and all these characters that I'm trying to figure out who they are and what they're all about. Then they all die. I'm like, oh, well, that's wasted thought and energy on my part then. All right. All right. Anything else? Well, I just want to say it now. I know Fred will say it later, but I did notice it while I was watching this. I wrote it in my notes. Why do they make those silver robots with boobs? Yeah. Good but I guess if you're the misogynist that Dylan Hunt uh, totally, obviously, is that you know uh, you where can't you blame everything on Dylan. Hey, he's the captain, man. You know the buck stops here. You know, like it's at some point he's got to be like, listen, why don't we just have like some old dude as the AI, or do we really need to put breasts on the on the robots? Like, come on. Okay. I don't know. All right. Well, why don't we maybe move maybe there's a function to it somewhere, but I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, I don't think so. But uh, all right, well, let's go over to listener feedback. And before we get to Fred's audio feedback, we heard from John in California. And I'm going to read it because I don't know if I can trust you to read it accurately. (laughs) I'm afraid you're going to leave some things out. So, yeah, it could happen. So, John says, I just got into your dark podcast and binged season one listening to your podcast one by one. I loved how you guys had forgotten so much you were guessing along with the rest of us. When Wayne watched the rest of the season, I feel like we lost a lot of that. He did an admirable job trying to remain spoiler-free, but you can't speculate and theorize with us when you've already seen it. I was happy to start Season 2 podcast because now we'd all be on the same page guessing and theorizing, but then I hear Wayne already watched it up to Episode 6, which is most of the season. So again, we lose that part. He can no longer contribute to any theories. Also... Some things are spoilers just knowing if we'll know something by episode six, for example. So that's another issue. I really think you guys should try and watch one at a time for season three because mystery shows like this are all about the guessing game and that's half the fun. I think it's a mistake for Netflix to release a mystery show like this in a binge format for this reason, but that's another topic. Just some thoughts. I really like both of you, so no disrespect intended. I just wish Wayne was a bit more patient. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, yeah john i i admit i would i would eat almost all of my easter candy uh you know but two days after after the holiday so listen i am gonna try all right i i i took your your feedback to heart and i, I you made some excellent points there you know i, I just i love night dark night dark i love dark so much and it's such a compelling show that, you know, I just, I just got to watch the next episode. But for you guys, I will, I will make my absolute most Herculean effort to watch one a week. I think so I probably. That sounds like you it. just promised. Okay. That's good. I didn't okay. promise. I said, I will make the effort or I will lie and act like I'm watching it once a week. And so you won't know the difference. Okay. You know, and if you can live with yourself, that's okay. Um, that's a, I am a pretty honest person. And I, 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 that's, that's where it's all going to fall apart. 
I don't know if I could not tell the truth for, oh, that's, <laughs> have you seen Knives Out? I have not. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just, there's a girl on there who, if she, if she lies, she, she vomits. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I felt akin to that because I'm not trying to boast here, but I, 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 you know, definitely make a point of, of, of telling the truth always. So, um, so I will, I, I, I don't want to promise because if I watch that first episode, it's really, really, really good. <laughs> But no, I would do. I'm, 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 I'm planning on going a week at a time. That's that's how I'm, I'm planning on doing this time. Because I agree with you. I, um, it, it was, it was, it was tough for me because when we we did season one, we both had already seen Dark, and I think we went through it. I don't know how we did. Did we pretend? Well, we did one we at a time. I mean, we no, we acknowledged because I think yeah. most people had already seen right, right the entire season by the time we started. True. It. Good point. So. Um, so so yeah, but you know, and 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 you're right with the you know there, there's some issues with how Netflix does things. I mean, it's it's great that you can get something and binge it all at once, but also like like with Snowpiercer or with Game of Thrones or, or like these shows that they're, they're once a week. So when the next episode they play the next episode, I watch the previous episode and the current one, and so it's like a two episode experience. Um, which gives me that continuity of it, but also, you know, instead of just where you blast through it in in a couple of days and then that's it, and then it's almost like it's it's forgotten. So I I do value absolutely that uh, the that you know releasing one episode a week model. You know, it's just unfortunately that's that's not how how the world goes. But for this one, John, this is for you, buddy. Okay. So, John, that sounds like a promise to me. but uh, It's not a promise, but it's <laughs> as close as you're going to get to one. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to uh, Fred's feedback, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Andromeda Season 1, Episode 1. First off, of course I want to come back to last week's podcast, where you did my Patreon choice of your most favorite 10 Canadian sci-fi genre actors. I think this influenced the choice of this week's episode because this Andromeda was filmed in Vancouver in Canada and Lexia Doig, one of the women on your top 10 list, is of course an important actress in this series as the AI Andromeda. I don't know if this was a rewatch for you, but for me it was the very first time I saw this. Striking was that none of your top 10 list was the same as on my top 10 list. And without knowing that from each other, we both made a list of about 50 Canadian extras to choose from. And also striking was that there were only two on your top 10 list that were in my list of 50 actors and that were Matt Fewer, although he is actually born in the US, but he got a Canadian nationality. And the other one is Aaron Ashmore. Matt Fewer, I am currently watching about every day because I do a rewatch of Orphan Black, where he plays Dr. Leakey. Very coincidental was that on your top 10 list there was Roger Cross. And as just said, I'm rewatching Orphan Black, and Roger Cross is just in one episode of 50 of Orphan Black as Carlton. And that was just the episode I watched the evening before I listened to your podcast. But as you said, he is almost in everything. And Aaron Ashmore, I mainly know from Killjoys. Furthermore, you had six honorable mentions, and one of them was on my list, Chris Holden Reed. And another three of your honorable mentions were indeed on my list of 50. And this makes it clear that I still have to watch a lot of series, or that we just watch other series, or that we just like other actors. Okay, one other non-Adromeda topic. The trailer is out of Dark, season 3. I wonder if you are going to do a podcast just about this trailer. And in this case, it's a real trailer. And I say this because there was a fake trailer you spent a whole podcast on last season. And of course, I contributed to that and I have to say, it was a lot of fun to do. Nonetheless, it proved to be a fake afterwards. 
Okay, about Andromeda. Everything that's beyond 2000, I think, that's not so long ago. Everything from last century, starting with 19, I think that's long ago. But 2000 still seems not so long ago, although it's in this case 20 years, because this series went from 2000 to 2005, and I think it's quite cheesy, and in the way of making, I thought, well, this looks not so good. When I compare it to other Gene Roddenberry productions, it feels older than, for instance, the last two seasons of Star Trek Voyager, which also aired in 2000-2001. And it it feels much more like Encounter at Farpoint, uh, which is the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, which aired in 1987. That's 13 years earlier. Although in the acting it's different from the next generation of Star Trek. If you compare for instance this Dylan Hunt, the captain of the Andromeda, to for instance William Riker. I cannot compare him to Jean-Luc Picard because that's quite a different character. But to William uh, Riker it's, it's quite more testosterone filled. It gives me much more the feeling of William Shatner's Kirk. Well, it was written in the 60s and the 70s by Gene Roddenberry and nine years after his death, this was produced by his widow, Magelle Barrett. But still, I assume you adapt this to the time that you are filming this. Okay, I shouldn't judge it just on this pilot, but in the total feel, it feels like something that is filmed 10 years earlier. And in the acting, it even feels like something 30 years earlier. What I find strange is that the Andromeda Ascendant, so Hunt's ship, is so fancy, although it's 300 years old. It's clear that Valentine's crew is impressed by the ship. So, think of something that would impress us that is 300 years old. We're talking about 1720 then. Well, perhaps a big sailing ship. Sorry being so critical, but I didn't like the makeup of Rev and also of Garntex. Also this guy on the Andromeda at the beginning of the episode with these enormous external tees. The quality reminded me a little bit of the first few seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And if you check when that is filmed, that's indeed just three years earlier. It also reminded me a bit of the makeup in Farscape, which also started in that same time period, namely 1999. A series that I didn't watch so far, but saw several trailers of. Watching them again now, I have the impression it's a little better there. And Trent's tale is also a little silly. She reminds me a little bit of a May in the recent series Vagrant Queen, which I started watching because Tim Roseanne was in it, who I know from Winona Earp. But that series is a little bit too silly for me, and I stopped after three episodes. Sorry, Tim. By the way, this uh, Harper mechanic reminds me a little bit of Wash in uh, Firefly. Because I wanted to make a better judgment, I also watched episode 2, and that has more or less still the same feeling for me. Not too much charmed about it, and especially because the team for Andromeda is already formed in episode 2. So at the end of episode 2, several people who are fighting each other in episode 1 got together under Dylan and are going to try to restore the Commonwealth. So that struggle will probably be the main story for the next five seasons. So that was all for me. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Oh, P.S. Why the heck do all these silvery, shiny robots have boobs? Okay. Yeah, you know, the, the whole idea about the lists, and I know we all wondered how much crossover there was going to be, and of course there wasn't any Very on, little, yeah. on, the, on the final 10. As Fred says, I think we all have a lot of watching still to do, but we'll get to that. And he mentions the dark trailer, not a fake this time. <laughs> <laughs> And that was good that your your post on the Facebook group. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I mean, I, I will say this, though. 
It was still fun. It was so much fun. And it was so great just going through and speculating. I know we sound like morons. Not even in retrospect. I'm sure at the time people realized it was fake. I don't know why we just didn't look into it any deeper than we did. But uh, but it was still, it was a blast. You know, it, it was so much fun doing that, that I have zero regrets about that. Even though you might say we, we're idiots and we sound like morons, fine. Fine. Call me a moron. It was fun. It was great. Yeah. Now, I, I did like his uh, connection of Dylan Hunt to not only Captain Kirk in the original Star Trek, but to Commander Riker, not necessarily Jean-Luc Picard, because he, he really isn't that kind of a, of a character. But, but I definitely can see the connection with Riker. And, and, and granted, I've only seen about eight, maybe yeah. ten episodes of you Next know Generation. You are talking I, about. I, but I think I have bite a your tongue. Riker. You have no idea. Oh yeah, so that was <laughs> can't can't compare. Well, of course you only saw no, one no, no. Huh? Yeah, you totally can. Yeah, yeah. That, that's okay. good because Riker was like the action guy, right? Yeah. He was the guy who always got sent down to the planet to 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 do anything. So um, yeah, I, I mean, like the, the first thing we see is you know the the captain just jumps down the hole rather than climbing down the ladder, and at first you're like, what the hell? Yeah, and then you're like, oh, he's got this anti gravity belt, or the the ship will keep him from or from falling, whatever. Well, plus that's that's a long ass ladder. Who makes a ladder that big? Can you imagine him to climb up that thing? Like well, he's probably got the reverse. You know, he's got jets in his. Yeah, boots, but I mean, like, why why wouldn't you just have a big hole and people just do you know the jets up and anti grav down? No, they put a big ass ladder in the middle of this ship that people. Like, yeah, it's one thing climbing down. Like, the captain's too lazy to even climb down it. What about the poor schmucks that have to climb up it? And if you're climbing up it, you're probably coming from, like, engineering or something. Or you're, like, a mechanic. Or you're probably, like, a cook or something like that. So yeah, it's just, what, this, is the capitalist, anti- this is the capitalist system, Dave. The capitalist system keeping people down. This is what this is right here in space. No, Andromeda. No. See, if if they have all of that activated, I mean, clearly it was activated for the captain, but if you have it activated for all of the crew, that draws too much power from the photon torpedo banks. And yeah. so so the so the guy, the poor, poor, you know, poor Tim, the cook, has to freaking haul the captain's foie gras all the way up through like six freaking layers of of six floors of ladder he's got to climb up so be it (laughs) so anyway anything else about fred's feedback you want to bring up um we talked about the roman empire we talked about the boobs talked about farscape talked about dylan yeah i I saw like a lot of captain kirk because like i said i mean just that fact that he jumps down uh the ladder rather than climbing down shows like a risk taker right I uh, have no regrets about the fake trailer. I didn't think it was. I didn't, I, I didn't think I was going to watch the trailer, but apparently, I think we're going to talk about it next week, though, right? Yeah. Well, thanks so for I, I, it, I, but you know that's okay. Oh, was that? I didn't know that was a secret. So, well, you could always <laughs> cut it out. It's not like I mean, you do the editing anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else? So, uh, uh, no, no. I, I think that's that's about it. Okay, so, uh, you know, if you were going to assign a grade, and I know it's difficult with pilot episodes. You know what, um, I, I gave this a B plus. Okay. You know, there, there, were, there were some obvious things, like the, what, the things that Fred points out are obviously, in our perspective, are flaws. And I think even if you, and I think Fred mentioned this, even if you look at, at comparative shows at the time, the, the production values are not there with its contemporary science fiction shows. That being said, I think they did a great job of characterization with the captain, with the, um, with you know, with, with Valentine and Rev and Seamus, whatever I can't remember his name, and then the the girl with the tail. I can't remember the characters' yeah. names, even though I, I can't remember their names. They did a great job characteriz- characterizing them, um, establishing the 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 basic characters, the basic premise. So I, I think all in all, it was very solid, well written. Um, engaging characters and actors, you know, I would, if, if, I, if I didn't have to watch 18 episodes of dark before the 27th, I would probably watch episode two, but you know, okay. I've got maybe stuff some, to do. Maybe someday. So someday. 
All right. Well, listen, we'll leave it there, and that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Andromeda, Ragnarok, Impulse, Dark, whatever. Anything going on in genre TV's fair game. Join the Facebook group. Get into the discussions there. If you want to shoot us an email, it is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with a few final thoughts about Ragnarok. And to show that we haven't learned from our mistakes, we're going to examine the dark season three pilot, the real one this time, <laughs> and see what's what. But until then... You know, Dave, I'd just like to say for the record... We rule.